Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey there everyone, Mike here from Adaptify and joining me shortly is Robin Lambert from WA Australia and uh, Robin's got an amazing, amazing style, amazing fashion sense. Uh, she's also an athlete and uh, you know I've been following her for a while and um, yeah, really look forward to having Robin join us. <laughs> Welcome Robin, thanks, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you uh, join me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. <laughs> hey, so um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What was growing up in Australia like? Well, I actually was born in England. Um, ah. So I lived in England until I was about 10 in the, in the northeast of England with uh, my parents and my family. And then we emigrated to Perth, uh, me, mum and dad, when I was about 10. Um, so, yeah, I kind of had uh, upbringing in two different countries. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was a pretty normal upbringing, to be honest. My parents were... Um, pretty young when they had me Um, and luckily my mom actually already worked in disability services with uh, helping adults with disabilities find jobs and stuff like that so she kind of and also in um, like childcare for um, children with disabilities so she kind of already was immersed in the world a little bit which I think was uh, really beneficial for me because she sort of learned not to treat me um, any differently and sort of just let me uh, determine my future so yeah, had a pretty normal upbringing. Played a lot of sport, went camping, all of the, all of the usual stuff. Yeah. So it would have been quite a transition as a ten-year-old going to a completely new country. And did you? You're currently in WA in Western Australia. Yeah. Was that was that where you landed? Yeah. So basically, um, my parents were just looking to get out of the the northeast of England. It's a bit grim there. <laughs> Weather's pretty bad, and um, and my dad was in the police. So there, there was a massive drive when we came over to hire police officers from the UK, and we just sort of signed up for that. No family here, no friends. So it was a, yeah, completely new experience. Wow. No, that's awesome. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your disability. What, um, you know, came into this world with uh, cerebral palsy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was um, born with cerebral palsy and uh, another neurological condition called syringomyelia. Um, So basically that just means that um, the messages from my brain getting to my muscles were sort of interfered with by the brain damage and by um, a cyst that was in my spine. Um, So yeah, basically just have tight muscles and struggle a little bit with things like uh, fine motor control and um, coordination and stuff like that. So um, obviously your your mum was very open and your dad, of course, too, about, uh, you know, your disability. Um, and that would have been a good help. I, I spoke to Catherine Beatty. You might you might know Catherine. Uh, interviewed her a couple of um, podcast episodes ago, and her parents really weren't that embracing with disability and the term disability. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, they 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 tried. That was off the table. It wasn't a subject that they really wanted to accept or talk about. Um, yeah. And Catherine kind of almost fought to be recognised as disabled and to an and actual fact to to get a wheelchair. Her parents really didn't want her to have a wheelchair and yet she realised that having a wheelchair meant that uh, she'd be uh, able to do a lot more things and she'd have a lot more sustained energy. Um, but it sounds yeah. like it was quite different for you. Um, and that must have been it must have been comforting having a family that were there to support you and, and weren't trying to brush under the carpet, so to speak, or your disability. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, obviously them having that understanding and just um, having knowledge around being able to, you know, adapt to different situations and stuff was uh, obviously really helpful for me. Um, But I think, like, like I said, I was never really treated like as a disabled kid, you know, Um, I know now that I've sort of been immersed in the community, um, sometimes parents sort of go overboard and they're very overprotective and stuff. But, you know, my parents were the kind of parents that were like, she's going to fall over, so we're going to push her over and she's going to learn how to fall correctly, you know, like stuff like that. So I think I kind of had this nice balance of, you know, recognising that I was going to have struggles and, and being preparing for me for that, but not going overboard the other way and being too overprotective or anything like that. Oh, that's really good. Like if there's any parents listening right now with a, with a child um, that has a disability of some sort, it's, a, it's some good advice, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, really awesome. What What about, uh, you know, I often think of, uh, you know, a child with a disability as being the sort of uh, easy target for, for kids at school and things like that. What was your experience? Um, in England, I, yeah, I faced a little bit of uh, bullying at school, but I think it's just <laughs> it's more to do with where I grew up. You know, it was the northeast of England. It was pretty rough. So anyone that was different was kind of uh, a target of bullying. But as soon as I moved to Australia, it was completely different. I didn't experience anything like that. I think sort of the attitude of everyone being able to have a go, sort of, especially in the schools that I went to and stuff, was um, quite prominent. So, yeah, had a had a great time at school over here. So, oh, that's awesome. That's really good. Really, yeah. really good to hear. And uh, and I guess uh, you know your your attitude towards it too, and your willingness to give things a go would have uh, would have certainly helped with that too, right? Oh, for sure. And I mean, I think, you know, I'm the first person to make a joke out of my disability and sort of, I think, humour and and stuff like that really helped me get through school, just making other people comfortable with the difference as well. Do you remember any particularly tough times that, um, you know, you you thought perhaps, oh, man, this this really sucks. I wish I wasn't disabled. Oh, I had a major operation when I was about 12 or 13. I was sort of like nine hours in theatre, had all my tendons lengthened. Um, I was in casts for like six months and I sort of had to go back to my parents doing everything for me. And like my grandparents came over to look after me as well. So it was just a bit of a, that was a bit of a tough time just because I'd built up so much independence to that point. And then it was like, oh, I was starting all over again and basically had to learn how to um, walk again and stuff like that. So that was a bit tough. But I mean, it was also like one of the funnest times of my life. Like, you know, I had a lot of friends really um you know come to that that situation and you know entertain me and stuff like that so it was yeah I mean I think everything there's sort of there's always you know two sides to it yeah nice I really admire your attitude around that um what lasting effects uh you know do you do you have from that surgery but also um cerebral palsy in general um, so yeah, basically that surgery helped me in terms of, um, relieving some of the spasticity. So I was able to lengthen my muscles so that I had um, more range of movement. Um, but as I get older, um, I'm sort of losing some of that range again, just because of the way, uh, CP is, you sort of, you can deal with the, the symptoms, but obviously the problem is the, the brain damage. So you can't really do much about that. Um, but I think I'm in a good place in my life at the moment where I'm sort of, um, I'm a part-time wheelchair user, so I use the wheelchair to sort of um, maintain my energy um, so that I can do the things that I really love to do. And I'm obviously a very active person, so I think that physical activity has played a huge part in my life and sort of being able to balance, um, you know, doing the things that I want to do and also keeping my body in the best shape it can be in. That's great. Um, what about fatigue? Does that play a role in your life? Oh, for sure. I think they say, you know, on average, someone with CP burns five to 10 times more energy than an average person just doing, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, So fatigue's always been a pretty big part of my life. But like I said, having the wheelchair and 
um, mobility aids and stuff like that really helps. What are, what are some other things that you could recommend to uh, that helps you deal with fatigue? I think um, diet has definitely been, been a big one for me, especially since becoming an athlete. That's been a big focus in um, my training, make sure that I'm getting sort of the right kind of fuel to um, you know, allow me to compete and to allow me to do all the things I do in my life. And then also, you know, just not being afraid to take a break every now and again and, and recover. So on the food front, uh, nutrition-wise, what, uh, what yeah. sort of things do you eat uh, to, to help you with your energy levels? Um, so I've actually found that uh, a lower carb diet actually really helps because I don't get those peaks and crashes. So I try and make up a majority of my diet with just like really um, like leafy greens and lots of vegetables and then um, lots of protein too. Nice. Yeah. Actually, I, I tried uh, a keto diet last year and discovered yeah. uh, gluten intolerance, but also, um, yeah, increased energy, uh, more sustained, yeah. I guess, you know. So I'm, I'm not I'm not as far as the keto. That's that's a bit too extreme. Pretty hard, for me, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. certainly. Um, I do like to eat out, so. <laughs> but um. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard done diet to stay with, I think, and it's um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's quite an expensive diet too, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, now that's cool. So so tell us about sport. When did you first get involved in in sort of I guess competitive sport? Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've, I've grown up playing uh, sport. My dad was actually a professional fighter, so I come from a pretty active wow. um, family, so I played soccer and tennis and all kinds of things growing up. Um, but then when I had that major operation, when I was about 12 or 13, um, I was obviously out of doing any kind of activity for, for a long time. Um, so we were looking at ways for me to get back to being active. And my dad just so happened to work with the mum of uh, one of the world's best wheelchair basketballers. Um, so wow. she really encouraged me to come down and play a little bit of wheelchair basketball. So that's sort of where I started. I played um, for my state um, in wheelchair basketball for juniors and, and women's. Um, but because I have some impairment in my upper body, um, I was really good at the defense side of things and not so great at uh, shooting. Um, so then I moved into wheelchair rugby because that's a, a sport for people with impairment in all four limbs. And then um, sort of from there, got involved with athletics as well. And that's kind of been... Uh, my most successful athletic pursuit so far. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Tell us about um, tell us about athletics. I've seen you in your pushroom wheelchair. Um, yeah, and uh, man, that thing's a torture device. I did the New York Marathon in 2014, <laughs> in one of those, and holy moly! Wow. I'm so yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never, um, <laughs> I've never knelt down on one of those since. It was, uh, it was brutal. Uh, yeah, they're definitely not designed for comfort, that's for sure. <laughs> and unbelievable. And yet, you know, you, you see, um, oh, you see this, the dedication, the skill, and the fitness of the, the world's top athletes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, I take my hat off. It's incredible. <laughs> so, what, um, what do you prefer um, with with your um, wheelchair racing? Yeah, well, like you said, they are pretty much a torture device, and especially for me because I have. Um, almost full feeling in my legs so being in that position is, is not fun so I've sort of stuck to the sprinting side of things um and I've sort of had quite a lot of success in that so yeah sort of um 100 meters is is my main event and then I also do a little bit of 800 stuff as well but yeah mainly 100. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with a uh you know push room wheelchair can you describe can you describe it for us? Yeah so basically it's um three three wheeled wheelchair um, and you have two big back wheels and a, and a smaller front wheel. Um, and you have a compensator on that, which is basically your steering device, which you set to whichever lane you are 
in on the track and you hit that as you go around the bend and then hit it again to go straight and it does all your steering for you. Ah. Um, and yeah, basically has put, um, push rims on the, on the back wheels, which you punch with uh, racing gloves. So the gloves um, are made of rubber, aren't they? And so yeah. It's, yeah. it's rubber from a fist usually, isn't it? You make a fist yeah. and then you're punching rubber against a, a smaller rim that's got rubber yeah. around it. Um, yeah. And then it's just, wow. So a hundred meters, that would be like, what makes a good wheelchair racer? Like, what do you, what do you think is this, is the, what do you need to, to make it? Um, I mean, there's a huge aspect of which is technique. It takes a, quite a long time to actually master the technique of, um, yeah, racing wheelchair. It's, it's not like pushing your everyday chair at all. It's completely different. Um, and like I said, I'd come from a background where I'd played basketball and played rugby and, you know, wheelchair racing was just completely different. So I think that that's, that's a big aspect. You have to be willing to put in the time to sort of master that technique. And then after that, it's just about power and explosiveness for sprints. So yeah, similar to running. So is there a good, uh, you know, training program in Australia? I mean, Australia are renowned for their sports programs. Does, does it extend to the Paralympic and the, you know, uh, disabled sports? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, Australia's produced some of the world's best wheelchair um, racers. We've sort of got Kurt Fernley, who's, um, mm. you know, he's, he's a legend in the sport. And, and now we've got athletes like Madison Di Rosario who are, are nailing it at the Paralympics at the moment. Um, but um, we're sort of seeing now that the, the state institutes for sport are really picking up um, disability sport, and including like basketball and, and wheelchair racing. So there's definitely a lot more support there now um, within Australia to build the program. That's really good. What are some of the challenges that are facing uh, disabled sport, do you think? Um, I think it's sort of getting the numbers um, into teams and uh, especially in athletics, we, we need more wheelchair races, just making people aware that, you know, this is something that they can do. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, getting funding as well. That's always a, it's always a big one. Um, we do get a little bit of government funding through the institutes of sport, but if you're starting out, it's quite an expensive sport to get involved with, you know, chairs are like, eight to ten grand so that's a big cost to put out to get involved in the sport so yeah i think it's just about universal with most most uh, wheelchair sports it's <laughs> yeah you, know, you got one other piece of equipment that um, that often costs a lot um yeah you know i'm thankful for the non-profits out there that uh um, that support yeah. athletes and they're they're in every country um so they, they do great work um, yeah for sure and there's often have a go days isn't there you can go and have a go yeah. and give it a try and, um, yeah. you know, reach, reach out to people like Robin and say, Hey, you know, can I come down and check it out? See what, see how it works, you know? Um, yeah, into it. So Robin, <laughs> um, as, as I mentioned before, we, we went live. Um, I was, you know, I guess I was attracted to your style and, and I, I think early <laughs> on in my Instagram days, I, um, I show, I think I showed my wife, my wife has, um, she loves t-shirts and she has um, great taste in t-shirts. So it's, it's quite, she, she calls it fruity. It's quite fruity, you know? And, um, <laughs> and she, I showed her, Hey, you should check out some, you should check out this chick Robin. And, um, and she's like, wow, you know, this is so cool. Make just send her a message and say how, how much, um, how much I love it. No, I reach out to you with that. You know, um, where did that style come from? Do you even know? Uh- uh, I mean, I've always kind of been a little bit, yeah, fruity, <laughs> as you'd say, a little bit kooky when it comes to style. But I think um, one of the big things, uh, you know, for my parents when I was growing up was they realized that I was going to 
I was going to have a disability was that they knew from their experiences with disability so far that, you know, I was going to stand out and people were going to take notice of me. Um, and, you know, so they wanted me to have the confidence to be able to own that and to be able to own my disability. And, you know, when I walk down the street and, and, and people stare at me, they wanted me to be, have the confidence to just, um, you know, give them something to look at. So they always sort of encouraged me to, um, to experiment with my style. Um, and with the, the clothes that I was wearing and, you know, from a young age, let me pick what I wanted to wear, which, you know, definitely led to some questionable decisions. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's, it's got me to the point where I am today where, you know, I'm, I'm willing to experiment with style. And I think I've sort of crafted this, you know, unique look for myself that, um, you know, people do take notice of over my disability. So, yeah. It must make you feel good. Does it? When, when people compliment you on, on your style and, um, I often think you know a person puts on a uniform and they can transform into um, you know whatever that uniform represents. Do you have the same yeah. sense with your style with clothes? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, like, yeah. It feels like I'm I'm stepping into myself, you know, when I've got a good outfit on and and uh, people notice that. So <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's so good. Do you find it hard to find clothes? Um, you know, do you, do you find it hard to find clothes? Are there any limitations to the clothing if you're using your wheelchair? Yeah, hundred percent. Like um, for me, a big one's always been shoes because I've I've either used orthotics or you know um, I've got like a fused ankle and stuff like that. So finding shoes, um, and I'm a sneakerhead too, so I love a good pair of shoes. Um, so that that's always been a bit of a challenge. And and you know, to, to be honest, most clothes aren't designed to be sat in all day. You know, they're designed to be stood up, and that's the way that they they look the best. Um, so when it comes to, you know, lengths of t-shirts and, and um, pants that, you know, is trying to stay up when you sat down all day, there is some challenges, but there's definitely now some brands that are coming on board and that they're realizing that, and there's a lot more range in terms of clothes actually designed for people with disabilities that are not just functional, they're, they're also fashionable now. So yeah, it's great to see. Oh, that's awesome. When did you uh, sort of, I guess, first, uh, be approached by some of these brands and, and people wanting you to um, you know, represent their products? Yeah, so I actually got involved with a non-for-profit organisation here in WA a few years back now called Starting With Julius and um, the owner of that non-for-profit had a son with um, Down syndrome and she noticed that within our mainstream media and particularly within advertising, we weren't seeing uh, disabled people being represented. So their whole mission was to get people with disabilities into advertising, um, especially into fashion. Um, and through my work with them, I got a, a gig modeling for a Target catalog, which was um, a nationwide campaign. And I was actually the first adult uh, wheelchair user to be featured in a, in a nationwide campaign here in Australia. And sort of from that, um, <laughs> that story kind of went global. I was in like Vogue, Italy and like all wow. these random... <laughs> random places um and from there yeah that sort of helped boost i guess my my profile and and now through social media particularly um i've had a few different brands jump on board with that and sort of realize the importance of representation and, and what that can do for a business as well so yeah uh, that's so good what advice would you have for others that are thinking about uh you know an influencer career and um and helping brands um you know market their products yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's just about just been about putting myself out there. Um, you know, I've actually called out certain brands on on um, you know on social media, saying that if you're wanting to 
say that you're portraying diversity and, and you're being inclusive, then you've got to include people with disabilities in that because we are, you know, the world's biggest minority. So mm. if you're claiming to be diverse, you've got, you've got to have us in, in that representation. And I think, yeah, you just got to be willing to put yourself out there and, and um, also, you know, to share with people what it means to be a disabled person in our society. So, Yeah, nice. I think the authenticity that you, you show is, um, uh, it comes through, so you know you can you can tell you can tell the people out there that are just in it for the money, or just in it for the attention, <laughs> yeah. versus somebody that actually yeah. genuinely cares about uh, you know what they represent. Um, yeah, so, you know I think I think it's that's valuable. Yeah, I think for me, like one of the biggest things is especially within our mainstream media, you know, our stories are always being told through. Um, an able-bodied lens, you know, if there's movies with characters with disabilities in the writer or the producer is always able-bodied. Um, so it's coming from that point of view, but with social media, we get an opportunity to take control of that narrative and to, to tell our own stories authentically. So that's always been my mission is to just be real and, you know, to show all sides of disability, not just, um, you know, the perks and not just the struggles, but, you know, the whole thing. So. Yeah. Nice. What do you think uh, has been harder for people to accept, your disability or your um, sexual identity? Oh, I think I've been, like I said, I've been really lucky that um, I've been surrounded by people that have just let me be me and I haven't had to be defined really by my disability or or by my sexual identity or anything like that. Um, I could just be Robin. Um, so I'm very lucky and, and privileged in that way. Um, but I think, you know, it's just been my personality. I've, I've just tried to make my personality bigger than any of that, you know, so that people just see me as me. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps a reflection of the society you live in too. Um, you know, yeah. Australia is quite open, um, you know, sexually, I guess, sexual identity wise. Um, yeah. What about advice for people listening or, you know, that, yeah, that are in countries where they, that, that isn't so socially accepted, either for disability or sexuality. What what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean that's that's a tough one, you know, because like I said, I've I've always um, been pretty privileged that I, I've lived in places where I can just sort of be me authentically. But I think if you stay true to who you are, you know, eventually you'll find um, you'll find your people, and you'll find people that accept you for who you are. Like I said, I did. Um, struggle a little bit you know growing up in the in the northeast of England where it was everyone you know is the same or you really do stand out um, but you know I did find people that accepted me for who I am and um, I think that's what you've got to invest in is just you know invest in those people that just accept you. Oh that's so good so what does the future hold for you Robin what uh, what plans are you making I guess everything's a bit in limbo with uh, the COVID-19 <laughs> but you know prior to this yeah, happening yeah. what um, what's the goal? <laughs> Did you? Well, my yeah. whole life was basically uh, revolving around the Paralympics this year. So um, those plans, I guess, have just uh, are still training for that, hopefully um, getting to wear the green and gold again um, and compete in my first Paralympics, yeah. So you were, you know, you had you qualified for the Paralympics or were you well on your way to doing so? Yeah, so I'd, I'd reached the qualifying times that um, Australia set. It doesn't necessarily mean you earn your spot on the team. There's only a certain number of spots. Um, so, yeah, I'm in the, I've been nominated and um, we'll just wait and see to, when Australia releases the team. But I'm, I'm in a pretty good position, yeah. So do you think this, uh, you know, just assuming that it goes ahead next year, 
What, yeah. what, um, what psychological impact do you think that has had on people and, and is it an advantage or a disadvantage? Um, I guess it really depends on where you are in your sporting career. I know there were some people that were obviously looking to, you know, wrap up their career with this Paralympics and pushing it back a year. It's obviously been a bit of a struggle for those people that were planning for a future ahead of that. Um, but for me, I'm just sort of taking it as another opportunity, you know, another year to get stronger and faster and fitter. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's good. I wish you the best of luck with that. Are you in any some, you know, restricted, um, you know, your movement's restricted in, in Perth, Western Australia um, due to COVID-19? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we can't obviously leave the country or leave um, our region at the moment. So we can't go outside of Perth City. So um, everything's kind of locked down at the moment. So just doing what I can at home and, yeah. Have you got any, any things that have uh, worked well to keep your spirits up? Well, I'm super lucky that my dad actually uh, owns a gym. So <laughs> I've had full access to that. Um, my dad's a personal trainer. So we've been, you know, making the most of both having time to train together, um, which is nice. But, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What about uh, What about dating? Tell us a bit about dating. <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's been pretty normal. Um, have had, you know, when I was in the process of, of uh, dating and looking for a partner, I had some interesting comments about, about disability because, um, you know, like I said, it's pretty obvious for me. I do use a wheelchair and when I'm walking, I have a limp. Um, but, you know, yeah, I was pretty lucky to find the right guy and I've, I've been dating my partner now for about three or four years. So, Oh, it's going well. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I see the occasional photo of the two of you together. And um, he also looks like he's got good style. So um, Yeah, for sure. That was the number one thing. <laughs> Had to have good style. Uh, it's so good to hear. Hey, well, listen, Robin, it's been uh, great to chat with you. Where can people find out more about you? Um, uh, yeah, where, where can people find out more about you? Aside from your Instagram handle, uh, is there anything else online that, um, that people can learn learn or engage with you? Um, so Instagram is my main one, but, um, I'm always open to chatting to people. So, um, yeah, they can reach out via email if they would like. Um, so that's just Robin Lambert at Gmail, but yeah, Instagram sort of my main, my main place. You can find out everything you need to know about me there. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much for joining me today. It's, um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and, um, and I'm sure there'll be lots of people out there that, um, that take away, um, some positive, uh, positive insights and, um, yeah, I feel proud to, be themselves um, and, uh, you know, be seen, like you say. I think it's a a fantastic attitude to have. Uh, So thanks for sharing it with um, with your Adaptify uh, uh, team. Yeah, cheers. Thank you again. Awesome. See you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com that's a-d-a-p-t-d-e-f-y.com we're also on all the major social media platforms at adaptify follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases hope you enjoyed this podcast look forward to catching you next time